Hello, everyone. Welcome to once again to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick. I'm Tony. And we're uh, in the smack dab of our book, <clears throat> uh, What About Evil by Scott Christensen. And uh, you've been kind of patient and we've, we've built up the story. We've told the story. We've talked about why the story is important. The, the monomyth, the, the idea of this, um, the, the, the problem, the rising action, the uh, crest of the, the climax, and then the, the downward storytelling. And, uh, and we said that um, all kind of stories that humanity tells is a image of God reflection in that God is the ultimate storyteller. And in the incarnation, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is where we find the climax of all human history. It's the pinnacle of God's story, his story, if you uh, will take the pun well. <laughs> and so uh, you might have thought, okay, well, what's the point of it? Well, chapter 12, the fortunate fall and God's greatest glory is where he does what he did in chapter one, which was told you the answer. And here he tells you the answer again and expounds upon uh, exactly why we had to talk, cover things like the monomyth. And, you know, we've, we've smacked down all the other theories and here's his, his built up one. So, right. In fact, this is his theory, right? This right. is, he's going to say, okay, this is, you know, how you solve the issue of the problem of evil. Right. right? And how he solves it rather. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're starting on 279, but uh, 282, if you want to put your little, little uh, pink marker on it, like I've, I've done to, to say, this this is a, a big point of, of the book is where he lays out his Argument. uh, argumentation right here. Yeah. And so uh, we'll cover uh, at least half of this chapter um, um, uh, with, with this episode and then uh, finish up because uh, after this, he's still going to build upon um, different ideas, which he does cover in this chapter saying, okay, I might not have explained this enough, but I need to do more work in it. So that's why this book doesn't just end it after chapter 12. You still got a few more, a few more episodes with yeah. us on this one. <laughs> A lot more chapters. <laughs> it's all of human history. What more do you want? <laughs> so here it is. Here we come to the paramount question. Why did God purpose the fall, sin, tragedy, adversity, catastrophe, pain, suffering, all natural and moral evils? The answer to this question can never be exhaustive. It's, it's, it's continuously happening, and, and we could ask, ask this question, why, God, why? Why did this happen right, in right, anything? Right. Death of a child, traffic accident, So there's all kinds tsunamis. of details that we can, you know, wonder about and, right. you know, uh, and, you know, ask about and consider uh, but he's not going to talk about all of these details, right? Right. right. <laughs> we we want to see the, the forest and then may, maybe the trees if we're yeah. lucky. <laughs> there will always remain certain mysteries, irresolvable conundrums and tensions, and there may be countless numbers of lesser reasons for a specific instance of evil, some ascertainable, but most not. And, you know, it, we, we talked about uh, um, several episodes ago that unless if we have Scripture revealing to us why God kind of allows certain evils um, you're not or really going to get, yeah, or, right. Yeah. Good or bad. Um, you, you kind of have a hard time of, of saying this because of this. Right, right. Um, so, you know, the, the Exodus, th there's a specific purpose that God has and there's actions that are taken and he says, I do this so that, and, and there you can kind of have a fortified moment, but even like the story of Job, 
you know, Job says, show me, show me what I've done wrong. And God just doesn't answer him on, <laughs> on why this is. And, and he covers this So if he doesn't well. answer Job, why would we think he'd answer us? I mean, right? you know, if, if Job's supposed to be the, the one that we all turn to when we're having a bad day, yeah. to, you know, so that we can wallow in the misery of somebody else's misery. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a hard one. Yet uh, the overarching reason for the existence of evil itself, as witnessed in the uh, panoramic flow of scriptural storyline, is that God provided a foil by which we could magnify his glory through redemption. And we're going to see that that theme covered a, a, a lot here is God's glory. Right, exactly. So Christensen tells us that just as conflict propels the yearning for resolution and the telling of great stories, even so the introduction of evil, he tells us, and the rising action of the plotline of history itself ignites a burning thirst for redemption and that uh, that can't be satisfied and it can only be satisfied by, uh, he says, a surpi- uh, surprising climax, right? Right. And that is at the cross in the empty tomb. These moments uh, and uh, these events epitomize the greatest story of all, bringing the greatest glory of all uh, to its incomparable divine author. Right. So it's bringing glory to to uh, to God, to the author of the story. And he tells us that he believes this then is the theodicy of the Bible. Right. So here's the answer. So. Uh, uh, shaping the argument of the greater glory theodicy. Remember that he, he's, he's kind of uh, uh, brought up five different versions of explanation for theodicy, said here are the, the positive aspects, here are some of the negative aspects, some have more positive than negatives, some the other way around. Right. And um, so he's going to draw from a couple of them and right. kind of put them together and make them his. Right. right. Yeah. So he calls it the greater glory theodicy. So as indicated earlier, the solution to the problem of evil represents a specific version of the greater good theodicy. That includes some modified elements of best fall possible world defenses. And if you're watching this on YouTube at the bottom of the screen, we're putting up some of the text graphics that we did when we covered uh, the first chapter to say, here's what that means. So you're, seen that now if you're listening to it uh go back and listen uh, <laughs> give us another download that'd be great or watch us on youtube hey look, look at that or buy the book even better even better <laughs> buy the book i call it the a greater glory theodicy is what christensen says so uh, uh because it seeks to demonstrate where god's glory is most magnified or maximized where does god obtain the most amount of glory uh, in in a story uh, in the story of history, and so he says this this is it, and it's a needed. Uh, uh, all the details are needed in order to tell it. You to to remove one removes um, uh, 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 a a characteristic that God can't be able to do. He he has to form this on the necessity of evil is is what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So the greatest good is what will bring God the greatest glory and his greatest glory will always 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 be tied to the greatest good. Yeah, and so he that, is the source of that goodness. That's exactly. you know when when we talk about um, the greatest possible being, uh, you know, Anselm or if uh, we're talking presuppositionally, we're we're always trying to to uh, lead people to that is is uh, to, to what gives God the ultimate uh, glory because he's the ultimate being in whatever way. So that, that's what we're, we're usually trying to do. And so that's why uh, this one might uh, ring true for us, maybe. Yeah. Good. So that's, you know, and so the basic idea here is uh, he, God does all that he does for his glory, right? 
And so he's going to give us an argument, three premises and a, and a conclusion uh, to kind of lay out his theodicy. Right. So let's let's kind of uh, summarize the argument real quickly and then mm-hmm. we'll kind of do a deep dive is what he does right. into each of the various premises. Right. So the first premise, God's ultimate purpose and freeing uh, uh Freely creating, rather, the world is to supremely magnify the riches of his glory to all his creatures, especially human beings who alone bear his image. So God's, you know, is trying to magnify his glory. Mm -hmm. Secondly, God's glory is supremely magnified in the atoning work of Christ, which is the sole means of accomplishing redemption for human beings. So God's magnifying his glory. He accomplishes that in the atonement of uh, that Christ brings. Thirdly, redemption is unnecessary unless human beings have fallen into sin, right? You don't need to redeem somebody that hasn't fallen into sin. And then lastly, his conclusion, therefore, the fall of humanity is necessary to God's ultimate purpose in creating the world, right? So that's kind of it. His ultimate purpose is... is, um, is uh, to bring um, glory, his glory, to all his creatures. He does that mainly through the atoning work of Christ. Uh, redemption is unnecessary unless you have fallen creatures. And so the fall of humanity and all the stuff that comes with that is God's ultimate purpose in creating the, the world. You know, I mean, it's necessary for this accomplishment of God's glory. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, so if, if uh, you you make a mistake on a painting you can kind of uh, utilize that as uh, kind of an idea of instead of uh, uh, having the picture that you originally entailed uh, without that one mistake, then uh, you, you couldn't have, uh, you know, you, you wanted a dark background, but here you're going to utilize paint that you dripped on the, the canvas and you're going to make a, a, tr- a tree that stands out. Well, then it becomes something that it wasn't able to, to be before, which was to spotlight this tree. So, uh, your painting might might change perspective on this. Uh, not a perfect analogy, but right. but by by um, by by saying that um, uh, if if we could just remove evil, then this world would still be exactly how God wants it, and um, all the manifestations of God would still be available to us. Uh, what Christians are saying here is that that's not the case. You, uh, you needed God to not accidentally, but to drop the paint on on the canvas. Yeah. So God that knew exactly what He was doing when He dropped the paint, right? right. Because right. He was trying to yeah. accomplish something, and that what He was trying to accomplish right. is to portray His glory, reveal His glory to all uh, creation, and especially human beings. And in order to do that. Uh, he uh, uh, atonement, the atonement, uh, the you know redemption had to be accomplished, and of course, in order for for something to be redeemed, it had to be mankind had to <laughs> yeah. be right in the place where they needed redemption. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so there we have the fall and all of the outcome of it, and God did that. It was a, it was uh, necessary for Him to do that in order for redemption to happen, and redemption reveals God's glory. So mm-hmm. that's the basic idea, right? So, okay, let, let's examine kind of each piece, and, and there are kind of A parts and B parts to this, so um, uh, he's going to uh, break it down. Yeah. So uh, hang on for, here. For, for, for what it needs to be. To, <laughs> yeah. to. So the first one is God's ultimate purpose in creation is to supremely magnify his glory. That, that's his first premise there. So his ultimate purpose, what he's, what he's ultimately going for in creation, in making anything, what, you know, why did God make the world? What's our purpose here? 
here's the ultimate purpose is to supremely, the, the, the biggest, magnify, show his glory. And so right. what, what, is, what does that mean here? So did God create the world because he was lonely? Did he just need somebody to love? Jefferson airplane in there. <laughs> uh, people have uh, vainly fancied that God needed to create the universe so that he might have other persons, however inferior to love and be loved by. Uh, I'm, I'm just so lonely out here and in, in floating in space <laughs> that, uh, that I must create the world. And, and uh, I, I've just got to tell him I'm the greatest possible being. And, and I, I get uh, euphoric feelings from that. No, right. that, that's not what's happening. <laughs> Much as a, a lonely woman might crowd her house with cats. <laughs> that, that, that might be a, a good uh, apt description for humanity, just a house full of cats. Yeah, uh, Hurting them as well. That's right. <laughs> but uh, such a notion is absurd. And why is that? Because we have scripture to, to, to reveal to us who God is, why he is. And uh, the Trinitarian Godhead um, uh, uh, fits uh, perfectly in, in the script description here is that it's, it's, it's a notion that's absurd because God was under no compulsion to create the world, uh, being fully satisfied in his own Trinitarian being, the perfect love and satisfaction existing among the members of the Trinity can never be matched by creating anything less. God has nothing to gain by creating anything. And so, um, you know, if, if God needed to create the world, if he needed somebody to love him, uh, if, if he, if he didn't exist in a Trinitarian form, we talked about this when we talked about, uh, uh, the concept of Allah in, 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 uh, in Islam is God, uh, Allah must create there in order to have beings to love. He must learn love by creating. He doesn't just, he doesn't just kind of know it. He has, uh, love is always an expressive emotion, expressive uh, relationship between uh, one or more people. So I love my children and I love my wife. I, I need the other person there, the wife, the children, in order to express that love. I, uh, you know, the, oh, you just love yourself. Uh, God's the ultimate lover of self, but there's no relationship fa factor there. Um, but in the, in the Trinity, God existing in one being, but then three persons, the, the, the triune Godhead there is allowed to, uh, uh, to, maximize their their love for one another so that they don't need to create they're they're perfectly self-existing they're not learning anything um god is not growing he's not understanding more uh, he's perfectly content within the godhead that's not true for other things so it's not a a means by which he must do this in order to uh you know uh, find the alien that says what is love what is kiss <laughs> you know that that type of uh, schlocky uh, B movie stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and so the idea here is that God didn't create us because He needed, you know, He needed somebody to love, right? God, as you mentioned here, and as you said, is is uh, is love. He, and the Trinitarian God had love long before He created right. anything or any person. If we're right? talking about the greatest possible being, a, a, a Trinity uh, is is almost uh, necessitated or or there has to be some understanding of that. And so um, this all works philosophically, but it's uh, more importantly working biblically so that we're understanding who God is uh, still within the confines of this theodicy. Right. Too. So God did not need to create, right? There was no need for God to create. He had everything he wanted and, de 
and 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 needed and he was self-sufficient right and everything already and so he didn't really need it yeah, he, he chose to create doesn't grow right? more powerful with more right. prayers or anything like that yeah right. <laughs> in, in, in other words he he made this world of his own free purpose and he could have fashioned it in any way he wanted right god does all things then christensen tells us for his glory mm-hmm. right Right. But so, it, so that that's what the the freely creating means. It's not yeah. just he's he's uh, he's giving out. You know, it's it's <laughs> not it's not this. Uh, uh, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a world, and you get a world. This is uh, God is under no compulsion to do one thing or the other. He does so for what purpose? And so, uh, you know, when we talked about the free will of humanity, when there's no desire there, as far as a controlling desire, we have a hard time saying, well, then how are choices made? And here. God has a choice to make as well, but he's, he's free to do certain things and other things he's not uh, uh, needed to do. So just the act of creating, he didn't have to, so he freely was allowed to, to and yeah. still be consistent within his nature, which is always going to be. And it's what we want from uh, a God being, someone who's consistent in his nature. All right, all right. Of course, even then, God is under, as you mentioned, no compulsion to magnify the riches of eternal glory to us, right? He doesn't even have to reveal his glory, right, right. or show his glory, right, uh, to, to us. Rather, he does this even freely. So not only did he freely create because he wanted his glory, but he doesn't really have to show his glory, but he does that freely simply so that, notice, we might marvel at his glory, right? Yeah, and this might be, uh, uh, not to to shake up the can of worms with the hornets in it. But, but when this comes to natural theology and, and the, the, the kind of theonomous, it, it, it's, it's hard to, to say like, okay, well, if you have all these necessary factors, you could probably get to God with this kind of two-step method. And like, oh, look how, how teleologically made the universe is or, or you know, here, here's all the steps of the Kalam argument to, to get you to the necessary being and, and the first mover. And then uh, we'll work some magic kubadu in there and, and get to the resurrection and poof, there you have Christianity. I have a hard time with that because it seems like uh, um, the, this, this, um, this uh, natural theology could lead to just uh, guesswork at this time. You could just say, well, yeah, there's this, you know, the blind watchmaker. He, he winds up the watch, he throws it in the universe. That's the universe. And he, he goes off and you, you have to determine your own way to, to get to whatever version of heaven that, <laughs> that, that watchmaker does. There's, there's, you know, there's the, the act of creation, but then, you know, I have made creation so that I might glorify myself that's 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 revelation that's specific revelation and i think that's something that you need you you get it in this uh, uh theodicy mm-hmm. okay so the uh, uh second uh premise but we're going to look at uh just the kind of the first half of it which is god's glory is supremely magnified in the atoning work of christ so we're already bringing jesus into this and uh, we're saying that he is the pinnacle the ultimate and it's what god wants to do even before time begins. And so uh, obviously we need to, to, to put this into our uh, premise as, a, as a, a very important point. So the atoning work of Christ is centered on his crucifixion and resurrection. Thus, we might say that God's glory is supremely magnified in the incarnation, death, resurrection, exaltation, and return of Christ to consummate his glorious kingdom. Nonetheless, the death and resurrection of Christ as an atonement for sin are the nucleus of his redemptive work. And it's here that the glory of God shines brightest as the greatest good. No other good can compare. 
Wow. Okay. So this seems important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So God's glory, God is magnified uh, supremely. His glory is shown ultimately in the atoning work of Christ. Right. Yeah. And then the atoning work of Christ, then um, Christensen tells us, is the sole means of redemption. Right. Because that's how redemption had to be accomplished. Mm-hmm. Right. The primary focus of the atoning work of Christ is the redemption of human beings, God's image bearing creatures. The human race estranged itself from its creator by obviously it's a rebellion. Right. I'm going to do my own thing. But God in his all um not knowing and uh, actually his, you know, in his ill-deserving, surprising and, uh, in fact, magnificent grace, Christensen tells us, chose a remnant of rebels for uh, reconciliation. Right. Right. So, you know, only the atoning work of Christ, he says, is capable of redeeming these fallen and uh, alienated uh, people. Right. Right. And so, uh, it, you know, humanity enters the picture here and we're, we're still we're still kind of focused on that as, as people. And, you know, it's like uh, taking a, a photo and you, you want to see yourself in there. That's the that's where you focus on first. Uh, but where is this grounded? And it's ultimately grounded on who God is. And it's it's focusing differently than what the other theodicies does. Well, why does evil exist? Well, because I'm so free. I can do this or uh, yeah, so, uh, and, and so, yeah, God wanted me to be free. And since I'm free, yeah. I can, you know, I can do evil. And therefore that's why evil right. exists. Why does evil exist? Well, so that we can <laughs> get to heaven in the, in the best way possible, because that's the ultimate goal is, is get us to the destination, the end point. And God has to sweep as many of us, uh, uh, in, into, the, can into the heaven, yeah. heaven goal in his, and in this Satan struggle, takes his own. Right, that's right. right. Yeah. And, uh, no, that, that's not the case. None it, of it, that is, is the case. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this uh, idea is, is different enough that you can see the kind of the juxtaposition between the two is that this is solely focused on God, his work. Yes, humans are included in that work, but ultimately we're, we're wanting to say, well, what about God? Not what about me in this right. one? The premise, the third premise is redemption is uh, uh, unnecessary without the fall. So you need the fall. You need evil to come into the world in order for redemption to happen. That was what we kind of were talking about there. Mm-hmm. Redemption speaks to the restoration to some good state like Eden that was ruined by the fall. Without a world wrecked by human evil, there could be no redemption. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, um, I'm going to take this uh, glass jar. I'm going to shatter it. Um, and then you build a, a glass angel from it or, or you know, statue. Well, I, you couldn't build that statue without me first breaking it. Something beautiful came out of something so uh, destructive and, and bad, and it looked like all hope was given up, but you took it and you, you made it into something new. You re- redeemed the brokenness and made it into something now unbroken. Yeah. This new and better realm finds its culmination in the kingdom of God in the future new heaven and the new earth. So uh, it, it's, it's uh, um, a... He, he describes it, uh, we were talking about the, the story of, of the you, and then uh, there's a, maybe a different shape uh, that we want to think about as far as storyline goes. Yeah, exactly, right? So the you would be something like, you know, um, creation, right, and paradise, and then the fall, right, and so paradise lost, and then redemption, hey, right? So right. that would be the you. So, we're, we're back in the garden. Yeah. <laughs> but Christensen tells us that the storyline of Scripture is more accurately illustrated in the shape of a J, 
right? Uh, so if it was merely, he says, conceived as a U-shaped storyline, as is commonly, uh, you know, monomythic stories are, then the restored paradise of the new creation, right, uh, emerging from the low point of the fall would appear no better, right, no better than the paradise of the initial pre-fall creation. Yeah. What It'd if it happens again? Yeah. We're making W's all yeah. the way through, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we'd wonder why the fall was necessary, right? He says, but the greater glory theodicy, his position, his his argument here, right, is that uh, it demonstrates that the paradise of the new creation will be not just equal, but far greater. So we have a J shape is what he's suggesting, mm-hmm. far greater, far more glorious than the paradise of the unsolved initial creation. Ironically, he tells us, because the cosmos has to pass through the terrible crisis of the fall. So instead of a U shape, he's suggesting, because of what God accomplishes through redemption, we get a J shape. We get a perfect paradise, the fall, and then this high point of redemption right, instead right. of the U-shape. Yeah, yeah. A, a new heaven, a new earth there. Yeah. And uh, kind of kind of looking ahead, we, we, we'll we talk about this later, but uh, part of the things that the theodicy needs to do is say uh, that good must count, come out of every single evil and so much so that it has to be worth it. The the, mm. the mm-hmm. U-shape, you, you might have uh, an idea of like, well, okay, one to one ratio is equal out in the scales. Right. What the, the the this J shape says is that not only uh, was evil redeemed, it was redeemed to a, an even higher extent than than what would have been possible right. if it was just left in the far in more state. glorious, far more greater, right. which right. is something that we want in our theodicy. Yeah. yeah. All right. So our conclusion. Yeah, now you're at the conclusion. Therefore, <laughs> you look for the therefore, and you see what came before. Therefore, the fall is necessary to God's ultimate purpose in creation. So the ultimate purpose of God in creation, the fall was necessary there. So was it a surprise? Did it, did it something come, come out of nowhere? Did you have to react to it? Here's where it is. So why the fall? Why the entrance of evil into the good creation? Why a world full of corruption and unrest? Once God freely determined to create the world and to maximize his glory to his image-bearing creatures— reveal us, uh, reveal himself to us. There was no greater way to do so than through the redemption that comes via the atoning work of Christ. So God shows up. He says, Hey, how's it going? Oh, look, it's that God guy. Awesome. Uh, uh, we can praise him for certain things, but, uh, he says, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a just, uh, judge. I, I judge uh, correctly and my judgment is, is, uh, perfectly just. I don't know what that means, God. So sure, right? I, yeah. uh, whatever you say, I'm I'm sure that's the case. I'm going to go back to eating uh, 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 bacon for all eternity right. without feeding anyone from the right tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the correct tree. But how do I learn those things? And, yeah. uh, uh, skipping maybe further ahead, but uh, uh, Romans nine will maybe reveal some of that stuff to us as well. And so he, he tells us that uh, incarnation, atoning death, and resurrection are necessary features of any plan to redeem a fallen world, right? Likewise, divine grace, the grounds on which God redeems fallen creatures, is a free act of God that is made necessary only once God determined to freely maximize his glory, right? So God determines to maximize his glory, and therefore he, he has to choose then 
this free act of giving out grace, right? So he quotes uh, John Frame, the the theologian, John Frame. He says that the very idea of grace is that God is not required to give it. That's the very idea of it. God isn't required. It's grace. By by definition. (laughs) (laughs) So if God is required, even his own, uh, you know, by his own nature, Right. Someone say, well, God is of this nature such that he has to give grace. Frame says, if that's the case, uh, then to give grace to us, uh, you know, then um, that's not grace. Right. right. And if he's forced to do it, it's not grace. Right. We have a certain claim on him. Right. So it's, I, uh, I borrowed frame. 20 bucks from you. You gave it very generously. That's maximizing your generosity to me. Yeah. And uh and now I give you my gift of $20 to you. Right. Look at how magnanimous I am. <laughs> I have become the person that gives the yeah. greatest gifts. Well, no, I'm just fulfilling my obligation of paying you back. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's not grace. I'm not giving you a gift. Uh, you know, Christmas, you know, we, we, we tend to do this with our friends. Okay, I spend about 20 bucks. They spend about 20 bucks. Just exchange 20 bucks at that point in time right, and right. get yourself yeah, a and book. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> right. So he says grace becomes a necessity um, only given some prior goal of God, such as maximizing his glory, right? So uh, grace excludes claims on it, mm-hmm. right? Right. We, you know, we, we uh, in your illustration, uh, here's a person, I, I, you choose to freely give them something. Well, you've chosen to freely give them something, right? And so that's grace. You've given them something that perhaps they need, right? Now, if they said, no, you owe me that, you have to give it to me, and you say, okay. Well, that's not grace, right. right? And so that's the point he's trying to make here. Even though God's nature is loving, that doesn't mean that we are owed his grace, right? He choo- He freely chooses to give it to us mm-hmm. is, is the idea that he's trying to help us to see right. here, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it's not grace. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think uh, some people uh, push back and say, well, uh, God's act of creation obligates him to uh, make certain um, uh, demands of him by, by that act. So uh, it's, it's like us having uh, children. If we left our uh, children out in the world alone, then we would be considered a bad father. Well, the, the, again, the, the, the uh, analogy breaks down, and I think he'll cover uh, that in preceding chapters there as well. But, uh, but there, there are things to kind of look at and go, well, why is this the case still? So there's that. So the freedom of God in magnifying his glory is the driving force behind his plan of the gracious, redeeming work of Christ. So, uh, you know, we, we think of like Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you know, we're saved by faith through grace. So there are things that are informing um, uh, our, our reaction by oh, grace, by grace through, through faith. Through faith. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I know you're just making sure I'm still awake. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so the, there are qualities of God that inform our uh, reactions there. So there are, there are qualities of God that also inform his other qualities. And we're, we're wanting God's nature and character to uh, be maximalized, perfect and work together. So that's what we're, we're needed here. So not only is God's glory more magnified in the fallen but being redeemed world than it would be in the unfallen, not needing redemption at all world. We don't even know what redemption means in this world. (laughs) But his glory is most maximized in such a fallen but redeemed world, a world where the redeemed are exceedingly more benefited than any other possible world. So here's the greatest possible world. It has evil in it. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, this broken world 
is among the best possible worlds with no world that could possibly be better. That is, no world could produce a better possible set of goods. And also, this tells us why in the scope of once time is created, uh, it exists in time. And so if you all of a sudden have a new heaven, new earth, uh, uh, being uh, rest- redeemed and restored, it's not like that world then becomes imperfect by not having it because you've had your your trajectory arc. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to save the princess again from the dragon uh, because you've already done it. You've married her. You've had children. You've lived heavily ever after. And you've after. slain the dragon, so right. he's, he's not there anymore. And yeah. e- even even if the uh, the every tear is wiped away from your eye and you remember your sin. No more, as as far as uh, infecting you, infecting your your glorified body. Uh, it does not mean that we can look, we cannot look back and see the 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 work of redemption, the work of creation. The, uh, you know, we can look back at God's God's uh, timeline in, in uh, of of making creation and see and see and learn and glorify Him in those states. Right. So uh, we we will still uh, uh, see that in. Uh, uh, a perfect world that we're looking back on and right. saying, look at what God did. We can still have that understanding. And this idea of world, possible worlds, that kind of stuff, what Christensen is trying to show us here is that, uh, for instance, Leibniz, you'll recall, mm-hmm. argued that this is the, you know, the greatest possible world. Christensen didn't like that argument from Leib- Leibniz. He, he thought that kind of forced God's hand to make this world. Right. And so what Christensen, uh, Christensen suggested was this is perhaps the best possible world among all the worlds, and there's no better world. So there may be worlds that are just as good that God could have created, but none better than this, right? So this is the, the best possible world with no world that could be possibly better in this world. Right. And then he's, he's suggesting as a result of that, then that doesn't force God to just make a particular world. And, and that was the one that God had to make, which is what he suggests. Um, Leibniz's argument mm-hmm. forces us right. to, to take. Right. And this is also the kind of like Archimedes, uh, give me a place to stand and I shall move the world is according to, to whose worldview are we saying that this is the best possible world? Uh, sure. From humanity's uh, onset, uh, if we didn't experience the, the horrors of 9-11, would this world be better? Uh, sure. In, in the scheme of, of it didn't happen, uh, it wasn't, I, I didn't witness something tragic. Uh, you, you, you can, I think, clearly argue that that's the best possible world for you. <laughs> but where, where are we standing? What 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 perspective are, are we wanting? And it seems like those other perspectives that we're we're saying, oh, I I need to maximize my freedom and I need to uh, ha- have a a consistent world. Uh, uh, so natural things have to come about, and we've seen issues with those. But uh, from whose perspective are we seeing? What ultimate purpose is things like the specific revelation of God in the Bible for? Is it is it for us to know? Yes, but it, it is. It is that part. But is it is it ultimate? I mean, I, I'm 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 in the middle of Exodus right now, and God's saying, "I'm doing this so that I might be glorified, or mm. that you mm. might see, or the Egyptians might know that I am, you know, the 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 one that does it. That all the nations will be able to look at what happened to Egypt and look at you and say that there's a God that that uh, that saves His people. Yeah. So it's it's clearly. Uh, embedded in scripture there not saying that humanity doesn't have a place that it's it's swept away in fact 
Um, here we find um, the ultimate uh, relationship builder is is this is this uh, time and moment in redemption and uh, the part of the adoption process of God from haters of God, uh, people that sit in his lap and, and spit in his face and then say, I will u- utilize what you have made for uh, our own purposes. He changes those hearts, removes the heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh and adopts them and says, you are my sons and daughters. I mean, the, the amazing justification in there. And, you know, we, we, we talk about where, where is God's glory at in, in the fall. I mean, that's amazing uh, right there. And it's revealed in the progressive revelation of Scripture, culminated in the incarnation, death, trial, uh, resurrection, and glorification of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're, we're trying to do. And um, um, we're trying to be consistent with what we know in Scripture. And, and uh, we're not having this nebulous uh, God theodicy that we're, we're trying to uh, maintain for whatever reasons we're we're having a specific reference point, and this is our reference point. Yeah. Okay, so that's probably one third of the chapter, <laughs> and so we've just laid out the argumentation. But there's a lot there, and, and we wanted to make sure that uh, we understood it. If you understood it as well, I guess I guess that helps too. Um, but uh, so we're gonna stop here and uh, continue on, uh, kind of clarifying remarks about well, you know, what, what about God's greater glory is involved there. Uh, well, what about humanity? Why, why can't we come into the picture sooner? Is it, can't, why can't it just be about me? And, and certain other uh, factors that we'll see about why this uh, is the, the, the way he formulates his argument. So, yeah. so the, the following ones will still be part of this chapter, but they'll inform more of, of his qualifications for his, his uh, uh, theory. Yeah. All right, so uh, hopefully you'll uh, continue on with us and uh, pick up the book. Uh, heard from some of you that you've picked up the book to follow along. It's 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 a tool. Even if you don't agree with it, there is a lot good here, and you're you're interacting with. I think what uh, what will be uh, a, a standard staple, especially for from the reform perspective, the the Calvinist perspective of of a theodicy um, that uh, that will inform and and does a good job of of balancing kind of both sides of the issue and then laying a good foundation of, of what people are talking about without talking past each other. So uh, hopefully that's uh, w- what you're getting out of this book, even if you don't agree with it. And uh, um, we'll see you next time for uh, the finish up of the fortunate fall and God's greatest glory. See you next time.